Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. I, I remembered this. I, I was thinking of what story I could tell that would kind of fit with what I'm going to talk about today. And I, and I remember something that happened nearly uh, four years ago. And it was one uh, of the, the craziest things that have ever happened to me. I was actually going to Patty Ann's here in town to have breakfast with uh, Hank Heisenrader. And I had breakfast with him, and any time you were with Hank, it was a, it was a treat, and, and you never knew what was going to happen. But we had walked outside after breakfast, and he was getting in his truck. We'd said our goodbyes, we'd shook hands, and, and uh, yeah, I'm parked in front, uh, you know, right across the street from Patty Ann's. And so I'm sitting there, and Hank gets in his truck, and just as I'm getting in my truck, somebody goes, hey, hey, and I look around, and there's this girl across the street right by Patty Ann's, and she's waving at me. Now, this girl's got a ball cap on, and she's got sunglasses that are about this big. I don't recognize this much of her, and I hadn't been here very long, four years ago, and so I was thinking, wow, I'm kind of getting well-known around here. So I was like, well, hello. And she goes, you got to come see my baby. I'm like, I don't even know who you are, but... Oh, okay. So I shut the door, put the keys in my pocket, kind of mosey my hind mighty preacher self over there. And she's getting this baby out of the car, out of the back seat of this car, and I kind of standing behind her to take a look at this little one, right? Well, I start noticing she's looking at me like I'm some sort of creeper. And I'm like waiting to see the baby, and she's like, not sure if she's even going to get the baby out. And all of a sudden, I hear something, and she was talking to Will and the other one at home motors. She wasn't talking to me. <laughs> that is a sinking feeling. What do you do now? You thank God for Debbie Ullum's shop and her being a real estate agent because you spin around and you look at her board like you're looking for something. There was another fella in Genesis that was kind of feeling a little bit high and mighty. His name was Joseph. He was the 11th child of Jacob. And if you want to know who Jacob is, Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. He had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. And Jacob had 12 boys, the 11th one being a boy named Joseph. Joseph was Jacob's favorite. Uh, Jacob made Joseph a coat of many colors that he paraded in front of his ten older brothers all the time. And, and Joseph was a little, well, his dad was kind of a scoundrel too. But Joseph would kind of brag about, you know, things. Well, one night Joseph has a dream. And he says, he goes and he tells his brothers the next day, he said, hey man, I had a dream. And they were like, what? And he said, well, I was a bundle of wheat or something like that and there was 11 other bundles of wheat and they came to the center to where I was and all the bundles of wheat bowed down to me and they're like who do you think you are right and so anyway he didn't say anything and so he goes back and he has another dream and so he goes and he tells his dad he's like he's like dad man you should hear this dream that I had and he goes what is it and he said he said I had a dream that the moon and the stars 
and uh, let's say the sun and the moon and 11 stars came and bowed down to me. And even his dad was like, okay, who do you think you are, right? So anyway, he's parade, Joseph is parading around, kind of lording it over everybody that he's the favorite and blah, blah, blah. Well, his brothers decide they've had enough. So what they do is they decide to get rid of him. And in a series of events that I won't go into, what ultimately happens is they take his coat of many colors, they rub some blood on it, they tell the dad that, that Joseph has been eaten by a Jabberwocky or something, I don't, I don't know. And um, anyway, so Jacob is just, I mean, he's devastated. I mean, he's a, I, I'm, so, I'm mourning so bad I'm going to die, right? But what they did with Joseph was they sold him into slavery. They sold him to some slave traders that happened to be passing by, and the slave traders took him to Egypt. Well, they stopped. And they sell Joseph as a slave to the captain of Pharaoh's guards. And this guy's name is Potiphar. Okay? Now, if you're one that likes to name your kids biblical names, please shy away from Potiphar. It's not that good looking of a name. And, but anyway, so Joseph becomes Potiphar's slave. Okay? Well, Joseph does such a good job. And because God has given him these dreams right? And he's like the great, great grandson of Abraham himself. So God starts blessing Potiphar's household because of Joseph, because Joseph is doing everything right. He's, he's going in there, and I mean, he's, he gets raised up to the head of the household and everything. Well, everything's going real good. I mean, you have to think about it. He, he, his brothers all hate him. He was sold into slavery. And now he's at Potiphar's house, the captain of, the, of Pharaoh's guards. And now he's like the head guy in the house. And Potiphar just loves him. Well, there's a problem. Somebody else loves him too. Potiphar's wife. Because see, he was, he was kind of like me. He was a strapping young man. And uh, no, not really. Joseph was a strapping young man, and Potiphar's wife kind of took a shine to him. Now, I understand, let's just call it like it is. We don't have to be crude about it, but the Bible explicitly says it. She says, come and sleep with me. And he's like, uh-uh. He said, I've been given everything in this house except for you, and I'm not going to do it because of my master. And she's like, no, you're going to do it. And he's like, no, I'm not. And anyway, finally, one day, she catches him alone. And she rips his cloak off of him. Now, he'd forgot his underoos that day, okay? So he rips his, she rips the cloak off of him. He is so, I don't want to say scared, but scared is kind of the right word. He's not going to do anything. And so he runs outside naked. Well, when she realizes that he's running away, she starts yelling rape. He tried to do this to me, and then he got scared and ran away. Well, when Potiphar finds out about it, guess where Joseph ends up? In the dungeon. You want to talk about a bad set of circumstances. Okay, Joseph has just told his brothers the dreams he had, and he did have the dreams. He sold into slavery just to be lifted up into the, I mean, to the top of this household, and everything's going great, and now he's in the dungeon. Well, while he's in the dungeon, there's the uh, Pharaoh's cupbearer and I think the baker, okay, are thrown into prison because they did something wrong, and while they are in there, um, they each have a dream, and, and they start talking about it amongst the prisoners. And uh, the, the cupbearer's dream was, was something along the lines of that Joseph interprets the dream and says, hey, you're going to be restored to, to Pharaoh's cupbearer. Don't mind. 
But the baker tells him his dream, and he's like, in two days, you're going to be impaled on a spike. And both of those things come true. So Joseph tells the cupbearer, you're going to be standing right next to Pharaoh. Remind him of what I have said. So two years goes by, right? Two years, he wastes away in this dungeon. This isn't like, you know, our state penitentiaries, you know. I mean, this is a dungeon in Egypt. This is not a nice place for two years. And finally, Pharaoh has a dream. Now, this cupbearer said, man, I'll put in a good word with you as soon as I get back and put into position. And he forgets about it for two years, right? And so Pharaoh has a dream and he's talking about it. And he's like, I wish somebody could tell me what that dream meant. And the cupbearer's like, oh, yeah. By the way. Two years ago, I was supposed to tell you about this. And so, anyway, he tells about uh, Joseph predicting the dreams absolutely correctly. So, Pharaoh sends for Joseph. Joseph comes out, and Pharaoh tells him his dream, and and, uh, Joseph said, this is what it is. There's going to be seven years of really good uh, abundance, and it's going to be followed by a huge famine. And so what you need to do is you need to take a fifth of every one of the crops that are raised in Egypt and put them back because there's going to be years and years and years worth of famine. And if you don't do this, everybody's going to die, right? You're going to save the whole world. Well, Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph. He like elevates him to second in command only under Pharaoh. So once again, he's back up, and sure enough, they, they do everything just like Joseph says. And sure enough, after seven years, uh, there's a famine in the land. Everything's happening just like uh, Joseph said. And sure enough, the famine fi- uh, strikes Canaan, which is what Israel used to be called. And so Jacob tells the ten brothers, or actually nine brothers that are left, he says, y'all nine Go to Egypt. I heard that there is uh, grain down there. Y'all go and buy some grain from Egypt. So the brothers go down there. And they have to go in front of the second in command of Egypt. And guess what they do? They bow down to him, asking for grain. Well, he recognizes his brother. But I'm sure he's got some eyeliner on because that's what the Egyptians did and stuff. They don't recognize him, right? Joseph is about 30 years old at this point. And so he spent most of his life as a slave in some form or fashion in Egypt. Well, everything comes true, right? Everything comes true. Joseph ends up telling his brothers who he is, and there's this big family reunion, and Jacob comes up, and it's just, it's one of those things that God took the most miserable of circumstances and used Joseph in a mighty mighty way. As a matter of fact, God used him to save the fledgling nation of Israel, who God had told Abraham, your descendants will be more numerous than the, than the sands on all of the seashores, and all of this stuff. God used all of that. But what if I told you, out of all the books in the Bible, that there's one little passage in Titus that could teach you probably more about living an authentic Christian life than any other passage in the Bible. What we're going to talk about today is some of the harder things. And I get it. And we'll talk about those harder things. And we'll talk about why it is so hard. And I, I promise you, if you call on yourself as a Christian or you say you believe in God, if this doesn't strike you and make you go, oh, mm, you might have some self-evaluation or evaluating to do. In Titus chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, 
The Apostle Paul says this, Slaves must always obey their masters and do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. He's, now, Paul is actually talking about actual slaves. And in today's politically correct environment, with all of the stuff going on in the nation, this is probably going to be the most politically incorrect uh, sermon or clinic that you will hear this year. But Paul is not saying that, that we should abolish all slavery and everything, but he's not condoning it either. He is just merely saying, slaves, if you are in a circumstance, you obey your master and do your best to please them. You must not talk back or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. And we can go back and look at the life of Joseph because did you know that over 130 times in the New Testament alone, there is a Greek word, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, it's D-O-U-L-O-S, doulos or something like that, right? 130 times that this word or a derivative of that word is used and there is only one thing that that word means. There is nothing else and that word is slave. Now it is usually translated in your Bible as slave when it is talking about people that are actually slaves like in this passage. But there are other passages in the Bible. How about this one right here? In Matthew 5, 21, most people can finish this verse. Then the master said to him, notice it said master, right? Then the master said to him, well done, my good and faithful what? That is not correct. The Greek word there is slave. Then the master said, well done, my good and faithful slave. Paul over and over and over in his letters called himself a slave of Jesus Christ, a slave of Christ Jesus, a slave of God. As Christians in Titus 9 and 10, Titus 2, 9 and 10, as Christians we must obey our master and do our best to please him. That's what Joseph did in Genesis 39, 2 and 4. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he was a slave in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. See, Paul says slaves must always obey their masters and try their best to please them. And that's exactly what Joseph did. Even though he was a slave, he did the right thing. And God not only blessed Joseph, but he blessed Potiphar's house, an Egyptian captain of the guard. He blessed Potiphar's household also because Joseph did what God told him to do. Slaves must always obey their masters and do their best to please them. Then he says, they must not talk back or steal. And in Genesis 39, 8 and 9, whenever uh, Potiphar's wife is, is coming on to Joseph, he says, but Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a w wicked thing? It would be a great sin against 
God. Even now in the face of temptation, even now in the face of wickedness, Joseph is doing what God would deem right and he knows it. Even though he is a slave, even though he has no freedom, he does not look at himself as a slave of Potiphar. He is only thinking about God. He says, it would be a great sin against God. He didn't say a great sin against my boss. He said it would be a great sin against God. But they must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. See, Christians must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. And Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand, and he ran from the house. Think about that. I mean, it says that no temptation has come upon us that they will not give us a way, that God will not allow us a way out of. Even when you are faced with temptation, if you have no other direction to go, you can always run from it, and that's exactly what Joseph did. Even you have to remove yourself. You know, you need, to, you need to have a pretty good reason if you're going to run outside naked, okay? Especially if you live in town. But besides that, it, that doesn't even matter. Get away from it. We must show ourselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. Then Pharaoh gave Joseph a new Egyptian name, Zaphoneth Paneah, something like that. You know what that means? That is Egyptian for God speaks and lives. By being even a slave, God did as mighty a work as has ever been done, apart at not including Jesus' death on the cross, through a guy that was made a slave. See? Even our modern Bibles, over 20 translations, all but the New American Standard usually translates doulos, or however you say that word, as servant. Become a servant, become a servant, become a servant, become a servant. But that word is actually in the Greek. It is slave. It is slave. Because see, there's a difference. Why are we making such a big deal about this? Because there is a big difference between a slave and a servant. Slaves are not paid, and the things they do are done out of obedience. Servants are paid a wage, and they do things out of choice and entitlement. A servant in a household is paid, and if they don't like it, they can quit and leave. They do things because they get paid to do things. A slave has no choice. A slave is owned because they are purchased. Servants can be hired and servants can quit. In Isaiah 43, verse 1 and 2, think about this. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. Do you know what redeemed means? That's a big biblical word, redemption. You know what it means? It means you were purchased. You don't purchase servants. You purchase slaves. Slaves are owned because they are purchased. They do not just, hey, you know what, I think I've had enough of this, I'm going to quit. Uh-uh. And Isaiah 43, 1 and 2 says, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Does that sound like a servant or a slave? Sounds like a slave to me. You were, I have redeemed you. I have purchased you. 
How did he purchase us? Christ redeemed us with his blood. He paid the price so that we could come to God. I have called you by name. You are mine. And, and, and I, can, I can sense the, man, this, man, Kevin's up there talking about being a slave and all this. But listen, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Because see, here's a great mystery. We are called to be slaves of Jesus Christ. And when we become slaves of Jesus Christ, you know what God says? You are my son now. You can't become a son of God without becoming a slave to Jesus Christ. It can't happen. It won't happen, guys. I, you know, I want to I apologize for it, but I'm not going to apologize for God. Because too many of us, the preacher included, have spent a lot of our lives attempting to be servants of Jesus instead of slaves of Jesus. And then we wonder why we don't feel him like we used to. Why we don't see him. Why when we pray, they, our prayers don't get answered. Because you've been just signed up as a servant. You have been wanting to be rewarded for the piddly little things that we do. Slaves are subject to only the will of the master. Servants are subject to their own will. Slaves are utterly dependent. Servants are independent. Slaves know that all discipline and reward come only from the master. Servants shun all discipline and look to the things of the world for reward. Are you a slave or are you a master? You remember Matthew, uh, what is it, 721 I think it is? No slave can serve two masters. Most modern English translations say no servant can serve two masters. But the Greek word there is slave. No slave can serve two masters. You either serve God or you trying to be a servant of God. And you know what? God doesn't need any servants. He's looking for people that are willing to become slaves. Unfortunately, that's not the case for most of us. Maybe this fits you right now. Maybe it's fit you in the past. I hope it fits none of us after today. Because a servant of Christ, they want reward for their works. They want the right to pick and choose what they follow of what God says. And that's not, that's not the way it is. They are not slaves to Christ, but freeloaders that want all the benefits without any of the sacrifice. In John chapter 6, this is a little bit of a lengthy passage, but I just want you to listen. Jesus has just got through explaining how all of this works. Okay, Many of his disciples... Now, Jesus had 12 disciples, but there was others. You remember the sending out of the 72? There was a lot more than 12 that went with Jesus. But he had that inner group of 12 people, and then an inner group of three, even from them. John chapter 6, starting in verse 60. Many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Have you been thinking that same thing throughout this entire sermon? These disciples, after Jesus got through explaining it, said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining, so he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. You cannot be a servant and reap anything. There's nothing you can do except give everything. 
Human effort accomplishes nothing, and the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Isn't that crazy that Jesus is asking us all to be servants, and he's saying in your, or not servants, he's asking us to be all slaves, and when you give yourself totally over, you are going to find exactly what you've been looking for. In another passage, Jesus says, if those who uh, are trying to save their lives will lose it, and those who are willing to lose their lives for my sake will find it. I have spoken to you, the words I've spoken to you are spirit and life, but some of you do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe. Then he said, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. They just walked off. It was too much. And they were, they were there. You know, they were like, hey, man, I'll do this if you'll do that for me. And when Jesus was asking everybody to give everything, they were like, hey, man, I just wanted to do a little and get a little. You know what I mean? Can't we do that? Jesus was like, no, that ain't how, that way it's going to be. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One from God. Will you believe? I find it very coincidental, okay? I, I'm just talking, and maybe there's no coincidences in the Bible, okay? Don't make a theology out of what I'm fixing to say. I'm just gonna draw an interesting parallel. In Revelation, the mark of the beast is listed as the number 666 right? Mark of the beast is 666. And I, I find it very interesting that John chapter 6 verse 66 says this, at this point many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Will that be you? Is this too much for you? If it is, I'm sorry, but I'm telling you the truth. We can, you know, here at Save the Cowboy, a lot of times we laugh and we talk about the good news and believe it or not, this is the best news I have ever preached because what I am telling you today will not only change your life, but it will change the lives of people around you and it will grant you eternal life. This is the only way to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, a slave to Jesus Christ. Did you know that I read one time that there was a group of missionaries that were down in South America, and you've heard me say this before, some of you are new here. There's a group of missionaries down in South America, and they heard that there was some sovereign islands off the coast of somewhere where there was cotton plantations where slavery was still practiced, actual slavery. They got with the plantation owners and got word to them to see if they could bring the good news of Jesus Christ to those slaves, and they said, the only people that can talk to slaves are other slaves or ourselves. So you know what they did on that spot? They sold themselves into lifetime slavery so that they could bring the good news of Jesus Christ to those that had never heard it. At one time, I've talked to people about that and thought, could I do that? But you know what? That is what God is asking you to do today. That is what God is asking you to do today is to offer yourself as a slave to say, you know what, no more am I gonna be like one foot in and one foot out. No more am I gonna come and go out of the service of God, but today I am going to offer my life up. I'm going to go 100% in and I'm never gonna look back. Will it be easy? No, absolutely not. It will not be, but it's the truth. You offer yourself as a slave to Jesus 
and you'll experience a life that you will not find anywhere else. I've titled today's sermon, The Joseph Effect. Joseph was a slave and changed the world. You can do the same, not only for yourself, but for your family. God blessed Potiphar's house because of Joseph. You sell yourself as a slave to Jesus Christ, God will bless your house because of you. And I'm not talking you're gonna make a million dollars or anything like that, but God will provide everything you need. Jesus says it over and over and over. Why do you worry about these things? I'm your master. You are my slave. I am going to take care of you. I'm going to give you clothes to, clothes to eat. I'm going to give you clothes to eat and food to wear. That's <laughs> other way around. The Joseph effect. There is no situation or circumstance that God cannot use for his glory when you are a slave to him. God can bless everything you do when you give yourself totally over to him. God's power flows through who you are, not what you do. Be who God tells you to be. Read his word. Do what he says to do. That is the only way. And when we exalt him and him only, he will exalt us one day. See, too much of our lives, our God is our circumstance. Man, when everything is going good, we praise God. And when everything's going bad, we think, oh, how many of you have ever been spent most of your life as an honest, goodness slave and done in Years in a dungeon in Egypt, none. Quit whining. Quit griping. Change your life. I know that in preparing for this, I've had this burden on me today to rededicate even myself because I've been one of these that have been trying to do what God has told me to do while looking out instead of looking up. If you've been the same, will you pray with me now? God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you call on us as slaves, but not so that we can be some machine or to go out and work our fingers to the bone, but so that we can have you as our master and you can provide for us and you can show us the way and that you can give us life, eternal life. God, I know that there's people here today that probably thought that they were gonna come in here today and hear a funny story and, and, and you know, leave here uh, you know, skipping and singing and maybe it was really tough on them like it was on me today. But God, you have spoken truth today through your word. God, I just pray right now that there's not anyone here today that will turn around and walk away unwilling to receive you as their Lord, Savior, and Master. Your desire is that none shall perish. You are offering your free gift of grace to all who will receive it today. And all they have to say is, God, I give my entire life to you and you alone. If you have prayed that message here today, if you've prayed that prayer and received his message, you are a new creation. Come, join with us. Let us learn from God and help one another. And it is in Jesus' holy name we pray, amen.